You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Welcome to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by Legal Fuel, the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbury. I'm a Senior Practice Management Advisor at the Bar and one of the hosts for today's show, which is being recorded from our offices in Tallahassee, Florida. Hello, I'm Carla Eckhart. I'm a Practice Management Advisor at the Florida Bar and co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. So today we are discussing Rule 1-3.8, or the right to inventory, to help our members better understand and stay compliant with bar rules. And many bar members are not aware that Section E of this rule states that, quote, Each member of the bar who practices law in Florida shall designate another member of the Florida bar who has agreed to serve as inventory attorney, uh, with a caveat if you're, unless you're a government attorney. So we'll get into all the details of that. And joining us today to talk all things inventory attorney is attorney Patricia Savitz. Patty received both her undergraduate and her law degree from the University of Miami. She is staff counsel for the Lawyer Regulation Department of the Florida Bar. She's been with the bar since 1997 and was previously bar counsel with the Orlando branch of the Florida Bar, where she handled all aspects of bar disciplinary proceedings. Patty was previously an assistant public defender in the 20th Judicial Circuit in Fort Myers and was a senior attorney with the Department of Children and Families. She has done extensive appellate work, including oral argument before the 5th District Court of Appeal and the Florida Supreme Court. Welcome to the show, Patty. Good morning. Welcome and thank you. So, Patty, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your department here at the bar. Well, the uh, information in the bio is accurate. been a government employee since 1986. And here at the bar, of, as far as lawyer regulation goes, we are charged with the oversight of the discipline process. That's from the beginning, which is the initial call by a member of the public to our ACAP hotline, our attorney consumer hotline, all the way through prosecution and appeal, which can include oral argument before the Supreme Court. And intermixed in there, uh, motion practice, uh, use of subpoenas, different things that would go along with any practice, such as depositions and sworn statements. So the reason we invited you to be a guest on the show is because we get calls all the time about inventory attorneys, or unfortunately an attorney has passed away and an associate doesn't know what to do or a spouse doesn't know what to do. Um, And while we do have certain resources in our department, we inevitably always send them to your department. So let's take it back and start from the beginning. What is an inventory attorney and why is this rule necessary? The inventory attorney, first of all, is not part of the attorney-client relationship. And I put that out there first because many people, lawyers, decline to serve as an inventory attorney because they think automatically it creates that attorney-client relationship with these people that may or may not be locatable in the files. So the inventory attorney has two primary responsibilities, to inventory the files or what is left of the files or what can be found of the files, and then to match the file to the client 
as a way to protect the client from harm, such as a statute of limitations, maybe a, a motion for sanctions, that type of thing. And inventory attorneys are critical because, as we know, anything can happen on any given day. It's not necessarily our aging practitioners. Um, it's not necessarily our younger practitioners. It's anybody. And you could do something as simple as have your own practice and all of a sudden be elevated to judge and then get sick. Or you could have an illness that debilitates you, whether for a long period of time or a short period of time. So the Supreme Court many, many years ago promulgated this rule requiring that all attorneys shall, and it's a shall, designate an inventory attorney. The flip side of that is the designated inventory attorney is not required to serve. So you put someone down, the bar's obligated to contact that someone, and then after that, kind of follow a progression to find somebody who will serve. But it is necessary because the practice has grown so large for everybody that we need to make sure the client's interests are protected. And I'm, I find that when we talk to new attorneys and we're telling them all the things they need to do, because we do get calls from people who say they're so excited, I just passed the bar, what do I need to do? So we have some checklists depending on if they're starting their own practice. But so many of them have no idea that they need to designate an inventory attorney. And people that have been here for 30 years don't have inventory attorneys because maybe they're not keeping up with the the rule changes. Um, do we have any idea how many, the percentage of bar members that have actually complied with the rule and designated someone? No, we don't really keep that statistic because it's not something, it's not one of those rules that if you fail to comply, you would be prosecuted for. It just makes protecting your clients more difficult on the other side. It's designated as a shall, and all bar members know shalls are not negotiable, but this one is in the, the body of the earlier rules that tell lawyers kind of our process and procedure, keep your record bar address up to date, that type of thing. So it's out there, but my guess is a lot of members don't know about it. And now that we've got such a large population that puts out their own shingle, I think it's become more of an issue. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to go back to what you mentioned about the designated inventory attorney having to serve or not having to serve. Let's say you designate an inventory attorney, um, but then 10 years down the line when they're called to serve because something has happened, uh, they're no longer able or no longer willing. What does the bar do if they can't find someone willing, even if they have designated someone, if they can't find someone willing to serve as their inventory attorney? Well, the first thing the bar does when they contact that designated inventory attorney, we use every contact as a potential resource. So you might decline to serve. So we would ask you, is there anybody you know within the voluntary bar association that you participate in, kind of going to that designated person first. Is there a member of the individual's family? And we kind of, uh, if you figure like spider fingers or spider webs going all out, we pull out all the stops, um, hit up grievance committee members, volunteer arbitrators, volunteer mediators, voluntary bar associations, and then go to the immediate family. Does Sometimes in the immediate family, there may be a family member who's an attorney who had no idea that they could serve. Sometimes you think family member would exclude you. So we start with that designated inventory attorney, and there's no um, tally board that marks the number of times the designated person says, I decline to serve. So we don't keep that, but we start with that person as a, a resource. And unfortunately, we have five branch offices. Each of the branches does have those cases where we cannot find an inventory attorney. So 
The bar does not step in as the inventory attorney. There's not a provision for that. But we do make sure to the extent that we can that there's safekeeping of those files. And we do um, try to essentially pull out all the stops to find a person and even a team of people to um, match the client with the file. And so if this is news to our listeners, they had no idea that they shall do this. How do you officially designate someone as your inventory attorney? Excellent question. The first thing the member needs to do is go to the bar's webpage and log in. And sometimes that strikes fear in some members because they can't remember their login. They might have someone who logs in and posts CLEs or logs in and posts their bar fees, you know, payment of bar fees. We also do not keep a tally board of people who cannot remember their passwords. <laughs> so please, the first thing is recapture your password, log in, and that's where you update yourself, uh, the bars that you're admitted to, your record bar address, and there is a section there where you could designate the inventory attorney. We also urge people, let that other person know. I've designated you. You want to designate me? Kind of a quid pro quo thing. So that means two people are now in compliance and covered. But it's very simple. takes less than five minutes. And the uh, even the recapturing of your password is only about 10 seconds. Right. So it's very simple. It's like, but it's like naming a guardian for your child, except it's your clients and your files. But I love that it's that simple. You can just log in. How do you do it if we have members who are like, I don't log into my portal and I'm not going to. Um, is there another way to designate your person? In this electronic age, I don't know. Um, I would be happy to find out and maybe send something to you because we do so much that's by electronic. And we do have those bar fee paper statements that are mailed out. I would assume that there's a portion on there for those who like to do the old-fashioned submit a, a check, write a trust check, mm -hmm. not a trust check, <laughs> operating <laughs> check. Uh, um, we had a whole I, podcast about that. Right, <laughs> I, I just mixed the uh, operating right. and trust with the trust account statement on the bar fees, <laughs> but there should be also a statement on the bar fees um, for inventory attorneys, and I'll double-check that. So there, there's always alternate ways, but it has to come from the member. You can't have somebody call for you or write for you. Now, that okay. doesn't mean that behind the scenes, your trusted employee logs in for you. I cannot confirm or deny that that exists out there in the world, but that's the easiest way and the fastest way. And once someone is appointed, how does that inventory attorney actually know what to do? Let's say they've never done this before. You know, are there guidelines for them to follow? Um, or, or should they just simply treat these files as their own and follow just the our rules on keeping confidential information, you know, stored correctly, you know, don't dump it out in the public garbage bin or things like that. What, what do they do? Where do they start? The first thing I would recommend every member do is go to the bar's main page. In our search box, just type in inventory attorney. You're going to get an entire page of how to do's, frequently asked questions, that type of thing. And it does start with that first statement that you do not create the attorney-client relationship. It also gives you a rundown of what the bar will do for you and what you need to do. Typically, in each of the branches, they have a checklist that once they identify an attorney, the bar will do the initial heavy lifting, making sure that the documents are filed with the circuit court because the circuit court is the one that enters that order. So the bar will pay that filing fee. We do try to get the circuits to waive that fee since we are obviously uh, a not-for-profit and assist us with that. 
And then we have sample pleadings for the inventory attorney report. We have sample pleadings that might need to go to the bank. So we try to behind the scenes, make sure it's easy for the inventory attorney that he or she does not have to create from a blank sheet of paper, reports, pleadings, anything like that. And there's also a guide, um, goes all the way back to when J.R. Phelps was with our Lomas office. That's her old department. <laughs> exactly. J.R. Phelps did an article that we keep on hand, and it's been updated over the years, but it's uh, essentially the how-tos and what to do as an inventory attorney. And then the bar also will act as a resource using our staff investigator if necessary and, and that type of thing. And can you clarify, so we're saying broadly everyone should be doing this, but what are the specific cases where you are not required to have an inventory attorney? Like if you've, you're a member of the bar, but you don't need to do this, who are those people? The exclusions are government attorneys. Government attorneys don't maintain a true attorney-client relationship or a true client file. The problem there is when you leave government service, you forget, you know, or mm -hmm. when you enter government service, you forget. So you need to make sure in all those to-dos, changing your record bar address, that you do that as well. So government attorneys are excluded. Of course, uh, members of the judiciary as members of the bar are excluded. And then attorneys that are licensed in Florida that do not maintain a practice or a client in Florida are excluded. But that means if you are licensed, dual licensed in New York and Florida, and you're in New York, and you have even just one client in Florida, you must designate an inventory attorney. So it comes down to protecting the client's interests. So what about client. like in-house counsel? If you're, you're in Florida, you're a bar member, but you work for a corporation. The in-house counsel have that separate category, and they don't have that inventory requirement as well. And... Uh, we often get this question when people say, well, I don't have anyone that can serve as inventory attorney or no one I know can serve as inventory attorney. Do uh, the designees need to practice the same area of law as the member who designated them? No, not at all. Primarily because they're not taking over that practice. Now, the rules do allow and the ethics opinions do allow that attorney, you know, with consent of the client to take over those files. Sometimes we'll get a volunteer who's a younger attorney who is willing to become competent in an area of law or does practice that area of law and take over a file. But the the designated inventory attorney does not need to be in your, either in your firm or in your area of practice. So if you have someone who has stepped in as the inventory attorney, that was one of my questions. They're permitted to become the attorney, attorney of record on some of those. Is it like when there's a change in firm composition where it's still up to the client to say, yay or nay, I'm, I'm willing to have this person take over my file? Or is it, you know, what's what's the relationship there? If, if, if you get notified that your attorney has passed away, this is the point of contact for all of the files. What happens on the client side? The client's given the opportunity to select counsel of his or her own choosing. The inventory attorney can actually make a referral to the uh, client of somebody, but it's always with the client's consent. Would you like me to give you some names? Here are some names. Here's a lawyer referral service. And the attorney can also say, I am available to uh, take over your case if you'd like me to do so. That's with your full disclosure and consent. And you, you mentioned that when you become the inventory attorney, there's actually a pleading that goes to the court. So people, you know, you are official and you mentioned that this goes to the bank. So is the inventory attorney also handling the trust account for the attorney's files? 
Yes and no. The inventory attorney does not assume the duties of the reconciliation, the comparison, the maintenance of the journal, the ledger cards, all those things that I'm sure you guys have covered in another mm-hmm. um, podcast. But just like with the fly, the files, the inventory attorney must match the money to the clients. That can be a little difficult. Oftentimes the bar can step in and help to a certain extent with that. The hope is that all attorneys maintain their trust accounts in substantial compliance, which makes the inventory attorney's job a little easier. But when it comes to, uh, so the inventory attorney has stepped in, and one of the things that that they differentiate on on the website page for this, they talk about um, members who have staff and members who don't have staff. So if you've had to take over the files, you're the inventory attorney, you've stepped in, um, and you know maybe the person is deceased. Will you, if if those clients say, I found someone, I'm going to go with this law firm down the street. So I know that then they come in and you release the file to them or at their instruction, you release it to the new counsel. Does the inventory attorney write the trust check to move that person's money to the new attorney they've selected? Like what, what are the mechanics of that? It starts with the order from the circuit court. In most cases, before even the first check is written like that, the identification of the funds, the total amount of funds is identified. So even if you transfer that file, probably because there's an upcoming hearing or a deadline or something like that, the trust funds would probably be the last step that's done because you don't want to write a check to client A if under certain circumstances you're using part of client B's money Mm -hmm. to fund client A. So the trust account component is the very, very last step of the inventory process. And then again, on the website of, of the many resources that are included for inventory attorneys, um, there's listed the pre-need inventory attorney agreement. What is that? What are the advantages of completing it? Does everyone or should everyone complete it? Ahead of time or is that something that you wait? To, I don't... The best practice would be to complete it ahead of time. And what's on the, on the webpage accessible to our members is just a suggestion. They may have another form that they prefer to use, one that many times an attorney with a PA might have their own counsel. You can take that to counsel. Counsel may use something else. But you're better off while you can stating forth, just like you would with your family issues, what you'd like done, how you'd like it done, and what's needed to be done. And it's okay to just take that form and use that, but more preparation in advance is better. So I, I would say the recommendation from us is everyone should complete it um, again. Is it almost like a power of attorney that you're that you're doing for the person that's going to step in for you? Like, is that what the pre-need represents? I mean, how, what kind of power are you conveying when you complete that ahead of time? It's a, it's a limited power, just like okay. the, the same way we would, as the bar, go in and get that circuit court order through the inventory process. The pre-need designates or, or delivers that authority in advance of that paperwork. And so many of the calls that we get in our office really is, it's either a client or a family member and they're calling in. And and sometimes it, it's strange to me, it, it'll be the day after like that someone died and they're so concerned that they're calling us. And so typically we will say, we're going to transfer you up to lawyer regulation. They'll be able to tell you if there was already a inventory attorney designated. And that's the extent of what we see. But I'm curious with all of the discipline side of it, say you have someone who's been disbarred, that they were doing something 
They were very much in violation of the bar rules. They've been disbarred. Is that a situation where an inventory attorney gets involved? And how do you know the person that they designated isn't involved? Like, what if they're in the same firm and there's some nefarious things that went on? Does the bar sort out if this person is going to handle it correctly? What happens then? You use the word sort out. You essentially mean vet. (laughs) Do do we vet the inventory attorney? (laughs) More often than not, in situations where we have a respondent attorney, whether uh, a him or a her, there is no designated inventory attorney. So the bar starts kind of behind the line segment in the negative numbers and has to catch up. And then in those cases, it's sometimes tricky to find an inventory attorney because if you have a respondent who committed misconduct mm-hmm. after you know, final hearing, filing of papers, whatever it might be. So we're not talking alleged misconduct at this point. Um, An attorney sometimes is hesitant to take on those files. We are very grateful that in many cases we do find someone because, again, their job is just to match the file to the client. As far as the vetting goes, there's the typical, you know, we do check in the membership data. Is that person the subject of a grievance? What's the nature of the grievance? Is that person's trust account in substantial compliance? But because we do try to assist members with the inventory process, we try to make it not a difficult undertaking. And if someone has a, I don't want to give the listeners this misapprehension that if you have a, a bar grievance filed against you, you can no longer be an inventory attorney. Those are just some of the ways we look at things. You don't assume because a bar complaint's been filed that someone's done anything wrong. There's certain areas of practice mm-hmm. that are just prone to them. And just because you've got that doesn't mean you cannot do the ministerial job of matching the client to the file. And most of our our members that are inventory attorneys come from voluntary bar associations, those members that are active in their practice in other ways and give back in many other ways. And sometimes they don't even know that person. It doesn't matter to them if they're a disbarred lawyer. In cases of disbarred lawyers with many files, sometimes we'll look at a team, one or two or three inventory attorneys, they'll kind of divide and conquer. That's a good point because the caseload could be so big that they're going to, it's going to pull them away from their own practice. So I, I, right. I can see that happening. But so you're saying that basically through the voluntary bars, there's, there's sort of a pool of people that are volunteers on standby that they, you know, have you reached out to, are there some people that are like semi-retired and they're just, they're happy to do this as service or? I think we're pushing for the goal of a pool of volunteers. That's that volunteer database, essentially membership, is where we go to first. Uh, Grievance committee members who have termed off, members who might have been a part of the executive council for their voluntary bar. So it's not a set pool, but they're people that we as the bar see over and over again in volunteer situations, doing pro bono, doing civic work. And we usually go to them first because they're someone who kind of participates in bar Mm-hmm. proceedings in the sense of, of bar voluntary actions. Is it possible for a member to call a lawyer reg and say, I want to serve as inventory attorney. I want to be part of that pool. Should the occasion ever come up? Should someone ever need inventory attorney? Is, does, is that possible or is it just the bar looking into certain usual suspects um, for, you know, again, just we know that you are able to serve. Can you serve? You know, is there is there an official pool? Can more? they put their hand up if yeah. they're like, yeah, I'd be interested in doing that? Compound questions. Yeah. <laughs> we have no official pool. Okay. okay. We would absolutely welcome 
a phone call. And it's based on where you're at. So our five branch offices, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Tallahassee, Tampa, and Orlando. If you practice geographically associated with those, call the main office, tell the receptionist, I'm interested in, in being on a list to serve as an inventory attorney. You will be immediately transferred to the right person, I assure you, and we will take your information down and, and we will keep that on file. And each office maintains whatever information they get differently. My previous position as bar counsel, I was with the Orlando branch and our chief branch discipline counsel does get calls from time to time, people that are willing to serve. And she has an amazing way of finding volunteers. So we would welcome the, the cold call from one of your listeners that wants to serve. Wonderful. And when we first started this conversation, you mentioned other instances, not just when someone passes away, um, where they would be required to have an inventory attorney or where an inventory attorney would be required to step in. What are some maybe weird actual instances that maybe don't have to do with someone passing away where an inventory attorney has to have been appointed or designated or the bar has had to step in and maybe find someone from the unofficial pool to serve? Are, are there any very interesting stories? No names, just... <laughs> <laughs> One of the ones that comes to my mind is a, a practitioner who is facing some discipline cases. And for whatever reason, you know, we can assume facts not in evidence, such as, you know, mental health, emotional situation, addiction. For whatever reason, he just chose to not practice anymore. And, and that does happen more than you would think. And that person essentially ends up in parts unknown, whereabouts unknown, and the files sit someplace. And we, we had a, a case like that. And we have to find somebody to take possession of those files and work with them. One of the most interesting cases I had was it became a marital dispute between the respondent and his uh, former spouse and the former spouse. And, uh, you know, I said his, but it could be her because we're not mm -hmm. revealing anything. The former spouse, the former spouse had assistance of some kind. We can only assume what the assistance was and essentially took the files from wherever they were located and put them out to trash. Was, oh. the, was the former spouse an attorney as well? Nope. Nope. Oh, so it was just a revenge file dump, kind of. Potentially. It was motivated by something. Um, but the call we got was, so-and-so's files are here. What's the bar going to do about it? And that call usually comes at a time where it's late in the afternoon and people are in court or in hearings or at lunch. And we as an agency mobilize as quickly as we can. We ask for grace. If you've got your hands on them, hold them. We promise you somebody will come out, but that that was interesting. They were, like you said, discarded like garbage. And this person was not whereabouts unknown. This person was in a different office, but it was a situation that had some malice involved. Wow. Uh, so just to be clear, your spouse, your non-attorney spouse cannot serve as your inventory attorney. Yeah, we've Correct. that. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. We, we get calls all the time. You know, my father, my husband has passed. I'm sorting through these files and I immediately say, are you an attorney? Oh no, but they're all stored here. And you say that, that it's rare. 
I've been at the bar almost five years and I know that I've gotten 10 calls where somebody was like, I'm cleaning out. My dad died 10 years ago. His carport is completely full of client files. What should I do? Constantly, like I think there's just files stashed in attics and basements and carports all over the state of Florida. So we do get that call. I'm thinking of a particular call I got where I wasn't sure how to direct the woman. So it was a husband and wife. They were in practice together. He practiced in one area. She practiced in an entirely different area. So she had no knowledge of his cases. He passed. She was calling us and she said, "Um, this has happened. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And I said, are you his inventory attorney? She didn't know what that was and she didn't know if he had appointed her or not. What is the protocol there? If she is his legal, she's his law partner, can she function? Does she have to go through the bar as the inventory attorney or can she just contact all the uh, clients of his and deal with it that way? What should she do? And it sounds in that situation, since they are partnered, mm-hmm. there is already that attorney-attorney relationship. Mm-hmm. So the the least restrictive alternative would be for her to have assistance to make that client list and match the clients with the file and go that way. The question we hear sometimes is, can the personal representative or the attorney for the personal representative serve as the inventory attorney? The attorney for the estate can serve as the inventory attorney. That's a yes. The personal representative, if he or she is an uh, a licensed attorney in Florida, can also serve as the inventory attorney because it doesn't it doesn't create that attorney client relationship. So, from the personal representative's perspective, it's not going to create that conflict of interest. The personal representative owes the duty to the estate, one hundred percent duty to the estate. The files are part of the estate, so the extension of that is matching the files to the clients. Even if the personal representative is not an attorney? No, no. The personal representative has to be an attorney. (laughs) Because lots of personal representatives aren't in a will situation. Right. But, but sometimes we get the attorneys for the trust that don't, don't want to do that. And I don't know if it's because of a malpractice coverage issue. And I I wouldn't be able to speak to that. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the the coverage would say or not say, but that's something we can always assist with and, and do our best to try to find inventory attorneys. They are very, very difficult to find, but the bar the bar is intended to accomplish that task. So at a minimum, that particular instance that I was talking about, the husband and wife law firm, at a minimum, her responsibility to the bar was probably just to let us know that he had passed so that his like portal, the I mean, his profile could be updated that he was deceased. Is that? That's correct. And then, you know, from there kicks in all the other obligations, anything he's filed notices of appearance, anything that has critical upcoming court dates, filing dates, things like that, that comes first, notifying the clients so the client's rights are protected. And then because they're a partnership, the assumption is they're maintaining their trust account and substantial compliance. It should be easy to match the ledger cards with the clients on whatever's remaining in the trust account. And I think you've had the call where it's a non-attorney contacting us and they're just they're looking at the files as like personal property, but they also think we've had this call where they think that the trust account is an asset of the deceased person so that right. it's part of the estate. And we've right. had to explain that that is not the case. Right. That that- right. No, it, it gets convoluted um, mm-hmm. because again, a, a lot of times it's, it's just family members and, you know, our, our first step is always to tell them, well, one, ask them, are you an, are you an attorney? 
if it's a no, invariably, it's a lot of times it's going to be a no. We say, well, you should contact a lawyer reg to find out if one has been appointed and maybe let them know um, that, you know, your parent or your spouse has passed and that they were designated as inventory attorney. And if they're willing to serve, then they can contact the bar and see what all else they need to do um, in order to meet all those uh, duties, I suppose. But going back to Christine's example of the spouse who's an attorney, does she, would she have been required to notify the bar that she is stepping in as inventory attorney? Does the bar want to have this on record in the event that you know a client calls and says, so-and-so is my attorney, they passed, and for whatever reason, the attorney's spouse was unable to contact them? Um, would you, do you require that inventory, self-appointed inventory attorneys mm -hmm. officially designate themselves as such within our records? And looking at the rule, which is 1-3.8, uh, I don't think there's an obligation for that self-appointed attorney mm -hmm. to notify the bar. Okay. And of course, that person could not go in and, and change the inventory attorney designation for the membership records. If And it sounds like in your example, the attorney would be the partner associate mm -hmm. in-house with that same attorney. Mm -hmm. So the client's first call is going to be to that law firm, mm -hmm. not to the bar. Mm -hmm. So that client would get an answer on the first call versus okay. the client that calls the firm. The firm says, we don't know. Then they call ACAP. Then they call you. Then they call lawyer reg. Right. So in a situation like that, it should be able to proceed even though there hasn't been a formal designation under the rules of the inventory attorney. And what what if it's a little bit different? What if it's a husband-wife situation, but they're not in practice together? And so say she passed and was a solo and her husband is part of a, another firm can he still step in or does, does he the, then need to be a, officially the inventory attorney if they're in separate firms? That's also tricky because it may be based on what his firm says. His firm uh, may have yeah. a, a firm rule that regardless of family membership, your 100% duty of loyalty is to the firm, which means you cannot do that. So that, that would be a little trickier. Uh, and you know, that things happen so suddenly, I don't know if in a situation like that there could be a planned for event. You right. know, one spouse knows the other is getting sick or the other wants to retire or wind down from practice. So your question would be a little more difficult to answer because it has the actual variable of the other mm -hmm. firm. And I guess from the client side, this isn't a person that you know or officially because it's their name isn't on the sign. So them saying, hey, I know that your attorney died. I'm the wife of this person, I'm taking over. I don't think that would have the same level of comfort as if they were in the same firm together already. And if you add the fact that a lot of husbands and wives have different last names. Yes. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. not a, a set thing that a husband and wife practice with the same last mm -hmm. name. So the call to the client could take the client kind of unawares. I think, I think the moral of the story is designate an inventory attorney, follow the rules, plan ahead of time. I think on our website, we even have a, a sort of article, we call them, it's more a resource where we talk about inventory attorneys and planned and unplanned absences may require you or you may want to consider appointing an inventory attorney, even for a planned absence. Again, you mentioned earlier, you know, if you're getting sick and you're going in for treatment, you're not dead. You're just going in for treatment. You're going to be unable to practice. You know, you can't show up to hearings on behalf of your clients anymore. 
you know, you're going, you're going to have to shut down your practice, even if it's only temporarily, you may want to consider appointing an inventory attorney, at least in those instances. Um, because again, planned, unplanned, you just never know. Or you're in Italy on vacation and you plan and to be you get back quarantined. in a week, but now you're quarantined. Could if in that situation, would the inventory attorney, could you say, hey, my, my designee, is going to take over because I don't know when I'm going to be back. It could be a couple of months. Is that still a situation where you would need someone to officially step in? That's a little different. That's more like a coverage attorney. Okay. Because remember, the inventory attorney is only going to match the client with the file, mm -hmm. which means once you match the client with the file, the client's free to go elsewhere, which right. means when you get back oh. from Italy, you now no longer have a client. Oh. So that brings up the, the other issue, probably another podcast for you all, <laughs> is uh, finding a coverage attorney or participating in you know a coverage program that they have. The other thing I had mentioned earlier in the podcast with inventory attorneys, don't in the, the pay it forward don't just designate somebody. Find somebody and tell them, I'll mm -hmm. do you a solid. I'll be yours. Right. Now you don't have to worry mm -hmm. about it. So that way it kind of accomplishes the inventory attorney with two people. Right, right. That's a good way to do it because I've had, like I told you, very young attorneys call us. They don't know anybody in there. Like they hung out a shingle because they felt like, um, you know, maybe they had done enough of a, they had been a law clerk and they'd done the clinics and they feel comfortable they're getting a client base, but they really don't know anybody to designate. But I, you know, if you have law school friends and they're in the same boat, I guess that would be a good way to do right. it. Right. You don't have to practice the same area of law that we, we covered that earlier. So again, that that's just a good strategy. You be my inventory attorney, I be yours. Coverage attorney is something separate. You might want them to practice the same area of law if, if they're going to be your coverage attorney. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know and to take away about the inventory attorney rule and the process? My takeaway is don't guess. Do not guess. Keep the bar's web page open on your desktop, on your iPad, on your mini, on your phone, wherever you can keep it open. And as I said in the beginning, in that search box, put inventory attorney. Everything you need will pop up at your fingertips. Yeah, and, and that's our goal. Usually when, when we interview internal guests like you and, and other bar representatives, it, we want our listeners to understand that we are here to help. So if you can't get to a computer and in that search box type an inventory attorney, pick up the phone and call the bar. We are here mm -hmm. to help you and to assist you and to walk you through all these rules. So we don't we don't expect you to memorize these rules and, and to know them forward and backwards like some of our uh, staff counsel do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, we are here to help. So I, I think that's ultimately our goal to let people know that if you have not designated an inventory attorney or have not read about it or don't know about the rule, pick up the phone and call us. Mm -hmm. We're here to help. And the us is the global us. You can call yes. any of the five branches Anyone. and get that the number Florida or get bar. that information. <laughs> we, we will route you to the correct department, we promise. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. Thank you, Patty Savitz, for joining us today. You're very welcome. If our listeners have questions, so we have talked about use the search box for inventory attorney on the main page. I Also on legalfuel.com, which is our Carla and my department, um, the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar, you can go through our document library on the front page and click on the category inventory attorney. We have all of those posted and we update them. Um, but if they take Carla's advice and they're calling, are they going to just call the main bar number? Do they need to ask for a cap? Who, who's the actual 
person that's going to know all the answers to this? Or should they all call you, Patty? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, I would not be able to take everybody's calls. I would recommend that because we have five branch offices in the geographic regions in the state, that you call the local bar office that's closest to where your record office is, your primary office, if you have more than one office. And for our listeners, those phone numbers are on the bar's website when it says, I think, contact us is the uh, the tab. The Each of the branch offices can take your call and from there route you to the person within the office. I believe also if you call the the main number for lawyer regulation here in our headquarters office, you'll get answers and you'll get answers also from our, our ACAP department as well. Perfect. Call the bar. <laughs> if you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple podcast. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar podcast brought to you by Legal Field, the practice resource center of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilbrey. And I'm Carla Eckhart. Until next time. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bars podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bars Practice Resource Center Legal Fuel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.